Well, church, I'm, I'm pumped to be with you today. I'm excited to dig into the scripture uh, together. We'll be back in the book of Acts chapter 19. Let me first begin just by asking you this. Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe in the power of God? I mean, really, do we really believe in the power of God? Of God, what we what we truly believe impacts what we do, and I think somehow um, we have figured out a way to say we believe things that have little to no impact on what we do. We we have a kind of Christian rhetoric that is not grounded in the power of God, and um, so church today, one of the calls of this message is to repent of that is to truly look to embrace the Holy Spirit of power. So we're going to see Holy Spirit power in the scripture today and what he is all about. Uh, before we dig into that, I just want to tell you some really good news. You guys want some good news? So uh, the little men's D group that I'm a part of has been intentionally praying for a handful of men uh, that are sort of in our sphere of influence. We've been praying that the Lord would save these guys that are friends, but they're not brothers. And um, so we've written their names on a little um, piece of paper. We've been praying for them weekly to come to know Jesus. And um, I'm just ecstatic because about um, 10 p.m. on Friday night, uh, one of those men gave his lives to Jesus. Yeah. Um, so thankful for the power of God to redeem and rescue because that's, that's not possible apart from the Holy Spirit doing all of the work to draw this brother to Christ, to open his eyes to the beauty of Christ, to help him to see his sin for what it is, to confess and repent and turn to Jesus as Savior. That doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. So we are so pumped and just thankful for the working of Jesus. Our plan, just so you know, is to baptize him on Easter Sunday. Won't that be fun? Uh, what a celebration that's going to be. And uh, we look forward to just celebrating with him as he declares the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ through baptism. Having said that, maybe, um, maybe you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe today you're here and you don't genuinely have a relationship with Christ and that that's a work the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. Maybe that's the case for you and for whatever reason you've just been waiting. And um, on Friday, a phone call that led up to that 10 p.m. living room conversation, the phone call we were just talking through the gospel and talking through those things. And, and I just, he said, uh, I don't think I can wait another day. I was like, well, don't. So we met that night. What are you waiting for? To give your life to Christ. What are you waiting for to surrender and lay down the sin that entangles you? Jesus is ready now, right? He's ready now to set you free. Let's look at the, the Holy Spirit power in Acts chapter 19. We're going to see um, 
Last time we were in uh, Acts 19 and 18 and 19, what we saw was Paul's ministry beginning in Ephesus with about 12 guys. And um, these, these men had heard a lot about God. They had heard from John the Baptist and were baptized into a baptism of repentance. They had tried to repent of their sin, uh, but they were powerless. Remember, Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. They had not trusted in Jesus for salvation, and so they did not have the Holy Spirit. But as they began to hear Paul and his message, they heard about Christ, that he was the Messiah they'd been looking for. They put their faith in him. Paul laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit in a very powerful way, much like they did at Pentecost. And um, it was powerful. So... What is the power of the Holy Spirit intended to accomplish in your life? What does he empower you to do? Well, Jesus told us in Acts chapter one, he told his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So in essentially, This is what we've seen for almost 20 chapters through the book is that the Holy Spirit empowers the witness of the gospel. So if if you're taking notes, this is this is it. The Holy Spirit empowers the witness of the good news of Jesus. And he is ultimately working to advance the saving message of Jesus Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit empowers. Now, he does lots of other things, but. Essentially, his ultimate gain is to glorify Christ through the witness of the gospel. So open your Bibles with me if you haven't already. Let's turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to see the extraordinary power of God working through Paul and actually working against some pretenders. So that people hear the word of God. That they make much of Jesus and are delivered from everlasting and enslaving power of darkness. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? And then I promise you'll be able to sit for a little while, okay? Uh, So we we stand to honor the word of God. And um, I'm just going to read a handful of verses today. Acts 19, verses 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary things. Miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. (laughs) And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. 
And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That word means magnified. Also, many of those who were now believers, they came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. Father, may it be so among us that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit and through us the word of the Lord may increase and prevail mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, there is an unmistakable contrast. Uh, We have uh, the humiliation, a humiliating failure of the sons of Sceva and the phenomenal success of the Apostle Paul. Both seem to be trying to deal with the problem of evil, but one is empowered by the Spirit, by God for victory, And others are embarrassed in defeat. So what's the distinction between them? We're going to dig into that a little bit this morning. But I want to ask you personally, because I feel like when we read a text like this about exorcisms and evil spirits and um, handkerchiefs that have some kind of power, we tend to detach from from it a little bit and think, well, I'm I'm not really into like incantations and I'm just not into that kind of thing too much. Um, So maybe this doesn't really apply to me. But I want you to know that evil can have a much more subtle approach. Even the kind of evil that Russ was mentioning this morning, the kind of bitterness and anger between brothers, between sisters. The enemy uses all kinds of evil. It's not just dark magic type things. That was the situation here in Ephesus. It was a a place of deep idolatry, idolatry and lots of dark magic, sorcery, that sort of thing. That's what was going on here. A lot of voodoo type magic. And so that's what we see. Just just the truth. But in your life, maybe maybe those things are not quite as present. And I just don't want you to unplug because you think, well, this is not really a problem for me because the enemy may have a much more subtle grip on you. So I want to ask you, are you victorious in your fight with evil? Or does evil have its way with you? So what does the Holy Spirit empower us to do? I just want to walk quickly through this text. And so first thing, Holy Spirit power humbles the servant. Humbles the servant. Verse 11 says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So let me just ask you, who's doing extraordinary miracles? That's right. Make no mistake about it. It's not Paul. It's God doing extraordinary miracles through Paul. Paul was a tool in the hand of Almighty God. Now, Paul's hands are used, but you might would imagine his hands almost like gloves that God is slipping his hands into. God is doing the work through the hands of Paul. Does that make sense? So Paul's aware of that. 
He knows himself. He knows who he is. He knows he's weak and fragile and nothing. And somehow, God is working miraculous things through the hands of Paul. Let's just acknowledge these, these realities. God is using Paul. Who is he? Well, he's a defected Pharisee, right? He was a teacher of the law. He used to wear those fancy robes, but now he's a tent maker. Now he's rough and ragged. He's a sweaty brother. You know, he works. His hands are calloused. He's not just a teacher who flips pages in a book. He's, he's a working man. And this brother, um, he's a defected Pharisee turned Christian missionary. He used to be respected. Now he's resented. He was a man of authority sending Christians to jail. Now he's one of those Christians going to jail. In almost every city, Paul's like wanting to check out the jail when he gets there because that's, no, that's where he's going to be staying, right? God brought Paul very low. Even in the moment that Jesus met him on the road, he took away his sight to make him utterly dependent on someone to be guided into a city. How, how humbling, Right? The idea here is to bring Paul low so that God could use him greatly. Now look at this. This is really unique. Um, the, the word of God says that God was doing extraordinary miracles. And I just wondered to myself, was the word extraordinary needed? Because I, I would think miracle is enough of a word to, to mean like extraordinary, right? Um, it's a bit redundant. So what would the point be? Well, I think the point would be the next verse that describes what's so extraordinary about it. It's not just Paul's hands and his power. It's like his um, handkerchiefs and his apron from work are somehow empowered. Having touched him, they're taken to faraway places to heal sick people and people under the power of evil spirits in remote locations. I think that's what would be extraordinary about these miracles. So let me ask you something about Paul and his character. Why does he not take this gig up as a profession? In this moment where even the clothes he's wearing have healing powers over people, why does he not be like, I'm going to hang up the preaching gig. This thing is awesome. Because the Spirit had humbled the servant. He knew it wasn't about his agenda. It was the Lord's agenda. Up to this point, as far as we know, God's never worked like this through Paul. And beyond this point, far as we know, God never did it again. And Paul's okay with it. Because he was content to be used by God for the glory of God. My mind goes back for a moment, you know, just thinking about clothing and, and the and power of God in clothing. I was just thinking about the story of the woman with the bleeding issue and how she pushed through the crowds to get to Jesus and her desire was just to touch the hem of his garment. You know, she just wanted to touch. She just knew if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. She grabbed hold of the hem of his garment and he stopped everything. He was kind of in a hurry, you know. He's supposed to be going to heal somebody else. But he stops. And he's like, who touched me? I felt the power go out of me. It's wild. I got to reading about these handkerchiefs and aprons and realized something I thought was really beautiful. These are, the handkerchiefs are the sweat rags 
that Paul used while he was working to make tents. And the apron was the thing he put on to keep, uh, you know, his normal clothes from getting, you know, work dirt on them. So we're talking about working attire, the, the, the stuff of ordinary labor. You know, you might pull out a sweat rag and wipe your brow and tuck it back in your pocket and go back to working with your hands. Or This apron is filthy from the work of his hands. And yet God uses something so incredibly ordinary to do something so incredibly extraordinary. And what we should see in that in just that one little moment is that's God's pattern, isn't it? He's all the time choosing ordinary to do extraordinary. God likes to take humble and do things that are great. We would note uh, the verse James chapter four, verse six. Listen to these words. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this moment is right up God's alley. You know, he loves taking ordinary and doing extraordinary. He loves taking the simple and doing the complex. He loves taking the foolish and shaming the wise. Why does he love to do that? Well, he loves to do those things because there's no other explanation for how this is happening other than to say, God did it. And that's the way we are called to live. We're called to live in such a way that when God does incredible things, there's nothing left to do but just say, God did it. Because I'm ordinary. I'm just a, a sweat rag, right? There's nothing special about me or you or Paul. And that's the point, is that God does special things with ordinary people. So we contrast that now with these pretenders and what we see with the sons of Sceva is that they, they fail pretty miserably, right? They try to do what they've seen Paul do. They, they try to imitate what, they, what they've seen. They've seen power and they're like, wow, that looks awesome. I think we should try that. <laughs> um, so why did the sons of Sceva fail? I'll just give you a, a few things to think about. I would say to us, they had a secondhand faith. Listen to what they say to the evil spirits. They come up and they say, I adjure you in the name of. What was his name again? That one that Paul preaches. The, the, the Jesus that Paul preaches. It's a very removed association to Jesus, isn't it? It's a secondhand faith. You know, we. You cannot claim power you've never personally experienced. First John, the apostle writes in chapter four, verse four, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's true. But if he's not in you, the one in the world is greater than you. The sons of Sceva did not have Jesus, the spirit of Christ in them. So when they went to face evil, it was a miserable defeat. When it comes to spiritual battle, you cannot fight the enemy based on the faith of someone else. 
Secondhand faith is worthless in this. I mean, is your, is your faith truly your faith? Or is it just, you know, my grandfather was a preacher. My father was a deacon in the church. Mother played the organ, whatever it may be. I mean, too many people are looking for their own power from someone else's faith. Secondhand faith is powerless against our enemy. What else did they do? These guys, they used Jesus' name without his authority. The Bible says they were Jewish itinerant exorcists. This is their profession. It's what they do. Um, it's what they try to do. Maybe they've been successful up to this point, but they, they're looking for new spells, new, uh, you know, what's working? What's working, man? What's been working for you? You know what? Almost like a fisherman talks to other fishermen. Hey, man, where have you been fishing? Where have you been catching them? And it's about trying to get the secrets of the trade, the secrets of the profession, you know. Want to um, try to figure this thing out. And so these are Jewish itinerant exorcists, and they see in Paul something that's working. So they just take a pragmatic approach. It's a professional move. It's a move that hopefully is just going to, you know, give them another incantation, another secret for their trade. This worked for Paul. Maybe it'll work for us. It reminds me a little bit of um, Acts 8, Simon the Sorcerer, if you remember. In Acts chapter 8, the power of God through, through Peter and John came on the Samaritans. And Simon's watching all this happen. He's like, whoa. He turns to Peter and he's like, hey man, how, how much would it cost me to buy the power to do that? And Simon says, literally, to hell with you and your money. Essentially, he says, the power of God's not for sale, brother. You can't buy God. And in this moment, right there, Simon is revealed as a, as a man who didn't really love the God of power. No, he just wanted the power of God. Same for these guys. They have no affection for Jesus. They just see him as useful. Their only interest... And Jesus was, how could he advance them on their mission? Jesus wasn't their treasure. He was their means to some other treasure. What else about them? Uh, I don't want to beat them up too much. Because if, if we beat them up too much, we begin to detach from them. And we shouldn't. We have the exact same tendencies in our own spirit, in our own heart. They took this upon themselves. That's what the scripture says. It says that they undertook to invoke the name of Jesus. This wasn't a mission that God had given them. It was just what they decided to do. Maybe they thought people will respect us. This is a smart move. This will promote us. It'll move us on up the ladder. I don't know what their logic was, but many of us, this is our, this is our thing with the Christian faith. You know, um, come to a church because it's good for networking it's good to meet somebody. Uh, funny story. Um, years ago when I was new in ministry, uh, I was a youth pastor at the time. And a, a, a man, I guess about my age, he was probably about 40, had joined the church and came up. He was being presented as a new member of the church. And the pastor said, uh, 
Uh, would you, Bob, would you like to say anything to the, to the church? And he handed me the microphone. And uh, Bob said, uh, yes, sir. I'm 40 years old and I'm single and I'm searching. <laughs> and the preacher's like, that mic, you know, he took the mic back. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people use the church, right, for lots of different reasons. They come to network, they come to connect, come to meet people. Um, that's not what the church is for, right? The church is, it's not your place to advance yourself. Um, one, one last thing, just the obvious. These guys were not empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were pretenders. They knew the right words to say, right? They tried to cast this demon out in the name of Jesus. They, they knew the right words, but did not know the God who actually does the work. They have an appearance of godliness, but deny its power. As Paul said to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, 5. A lot of people today know how to talk the talk, but we're not empowered by the Spirit, Right? We know, that we know the lingo. We know Christianese. But when it comes to living and walking in the Spirit day in and day out, we're clueless. We have no clue. So what about Paul? What's, what's his secret? Well, what we know of Paul from his writings, he starts his letters this way. Paul called to be an apostle. This wasn't a work that he just took up. It was something God interrupted his life, knocked him off of his path and said, here's what I'm calling you to do. God gave him the work. God gave him the mission. And Paul just accepted it. He didn't take it upon himself. He didn't simply decide to do this. Jesus had saved him and sent him. Paul had a true and personal faith. This wasn't secondhand faith. He had an experience with Christ on his own. Jesus Christ had rescued Paul. Paul's going to say in Philippians 3 later when he writes that letter, he's going to say, whatever things were gained to me, I now count as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That relationship with Jesus meant the most to Paul. Paul believed the gospel. So he believed the truth about Jesus. He wasn't just using his name. Like he believed that Jesus truly lived, died, was buried, resurrected in his place and is now coming into him to empower him for the mission. Paul had been on this mission for Jesus because he surrendered himself to Christ. Called himself in, in a lot of his writings, called himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ. This isn't a man who wants to elevate himself. He looks at himself like a slave, a servant to Jesus. Jesus is my master, Paul would say. So essentially, he wasn't using Jesus. He was willing to be used by Jesus. And then obviously the biggest distinction is Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. God worked through him because God got the glory. And listen, 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 this is key. God will work through a man that he can trust with his glory. God will work through a person that he can trust with his glory. We've seen that over and over through the book of Acts. If you try to steal the glory of God, it will not go well for you. Holy Spirit power humbles the servant of God. Humbles those who seek to exalt themselves as well. Secondly, the Holy Spirit power 
lifts high the Savior. You see that in the text? Verse 17 says, fear fell upon them all and the name of Jesus was extolled. That word magnified, made much of. This is interesting, right? Because these religious professionals are whipped and humiliated. I mean, they run out naked. Let me just tell you, if you get in a fight, and in that fight you lose your pants, you lost. Just to be clear. Like, you lost. No questions. Now, how is it, though, in this moment, it's like right on the heels of utter failure. In these, these guys are saying the name of Jesus and they're humiliated. And then the Bible says fear fell upon everyone and Jesus is magnified. How does that happen? It's kind of like when God killed Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. If you remember... Barnabas had just sold a lot of property and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And he just said, use this for the kingdom, you know. And there's this beautiful picture of generosity at the end of Acts 4. And then Acts 5 begins. And you have Ananias and Sapphira that they kind of develop a plan on their own. They're like, let's just let's sell some land. We'll, we'll collect some money. We'll take it. But let's like, let's, you know, let's keep some of the money for ourselves. Let's take it. And they totally could have divided it up like that. That's not the big deal. The big deal is that they lied and wanted the glory for all of it. So they brought this money. They said, this is all of it. Peter said, is this all of it? He said, that's it. That's it. God bless us. And here we are just giving everything we have. Peter says, why have you decided in your heart he actually says, why have you been deceived by the enemy to lie to the Holy Spirit? And in that moment, Ananias fell dead before God. Not long after, his wife came in with the very same lie. Peter said, are you going to lie to me too? The same people who took your husband out are going to drag you out too. She fell dead. And then the scripture says something right on the heels of that. Because this, this is a massive moment. Up to this point, it's just been like, the, the church has been growing, the Holy Spirit's been moving, and you get Acts 5, it's like, whoa! They hit the brakes because God's like, no. We're not going to play that game. We're lifting up Jesus, not ourselves. And on the heels of their death, the Bible says, and fear came upon them all. All. All for God. This is a big moment here now in Acts 19. God uses these moments to shake things up and remind everyone that he's not going to be played. Paul was used by God. These pretenders tried to use God. But the Spirit always lifts up the Son, the Savior King. That's his mission. In John 16, Jesus says this before he leaves. His apostles, he's teaching them, I'm I'm leaving, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, listen, listen to the next words. He will glorify me. Jesus makes a point here. 
And you can test the spirit this way. Something feels off to you. This is it. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's mission is to glorify me. He's always lifting up the Savior. Our God is too powerful to be manipulated by men. You know that? He's too powerful to be manipulated. Um, Anybody watch Lord of the Rings? Anybody a Lord of the Rings fan in here? It's been a while, right? Nobody? Seriously? Like, raise your hand. Okay. Okay, good. All right. So um, y'all remember like, my precious, right? That, the, uh, the ring was the, 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 my precious. And whoever had the ring had this incredible power. Whatever. They, they had the ability to do some incredible and powerful things. It was a source of power, but it actually was not powerful itself. The ring was actually under the control of its wearer. You hearing this? Whoever's wearing the ring could wield that special power to do what they wanted. Now, in this moment, the sons of Sceva realized that our Savior is not like that. Jesus is not at all like that. The Holy Spirit is not an abracadabra kind of power. He does not just empower you to do your own will for your own glory. No, he empowers the one who is yielded to him and whose goal is to lift up Jesus Christ. Glorifying Jesus is the supreme aim of the Holy Spirit. And those who are empowered by him join him in that mission. Lastly, maybe most important for us today. Holy Spirit power heals the sinner. So humbles the servant, lifts high the Savior, and heals the sinner. This whole story is bookended by um, sections about the Word of God. If you look back up in verse 10, you see um, the Bible tells us that Paul is teaching the Word of God for two years in this one spot. And it says that um, everyone across Asia, Jew and Greek, was able to hear the Word of God. So the word of the Lord increased in that way in verse 10. And then in verse 20, the, the sort of the tag on the end of this story is that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And this is essentially what we're saying is that the miracles and the working of the extraordinary work of God, miracles serve the message of the gospel. I want us to hold on to that because that's a bedrock truth here. Miracles of the Lord serve the message of the gospel. Here's the point. People are being healed of all kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of evil spirits. But that kind of healing is not the ultimate goal. Ultimately, the goal is that they be healed in their soul, healed from the deepest kind of ailment, which is our sin. The brokenness that will last for eternity apart from healing in Jesus. So miracles can heal the body. Miracles can open the heart to faith. But only the gospel of Jesus truly saves sinners. And so every miracle is is used as a platform for the word of God to increase. They're not the, the totality of the ministry bound up in a miracle. No, the miracle serves a greater purpose to advance the the message of the gospel. 
So where there's a high view of God, what we see in this text is inevitably there is a seriousness about sin. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. We'll finish here this morning. What we see is that God's spirit is stirring people to make drastic steps of repentance. Jesus is delivering them. This is miraculous. We, we began with like handkerchiefs and, and aprons that are somehow empowered to heal. And we end with the word of God. The, the message of the gospel is empowering repentance and faith. The Bible says here in verse 18, many of those who were now believers came. Listen to what it says. Confessing and divulging their practices. Do you know what it means to confess? We think we do, right? I mean, that's kind of a plain word, you know, to confess. I'm sorry I did that. It's much more than that. The word to confess means to acknowledge sin and to agree with God about it. Listen, to acknowledge sin and to agree with God about it. So to confess your sin means you feel about it the same way God feels about it. That's much different than just going, yeah, I did it. That's not deep confession. But what's happening here is a transformation of feeling about sin. And I'm going to tell you something. That's miraculous. Do you know that? John 3, Jesus said, light came into the world and the world hated it. Why? Because the world loves darkness. Loves the darkness. The only way we don't love sin is by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that happens. So to confess, to acknowledge and agree with God about my sin is a miracle of the Holy Spirit in my heart. But these guys are confessing and then divulging. Now, what does that mean? That, that word actually means to make known in detail. To bring the secret darkness to public light. You know, there's freedom in this kind of honesty. The Bible says that we confess to God for forgiveness. James 5 says when you confess to one another, it's for healing. Did you know that? We confess to God to be forgiven by him. James 5, 16 says, confess your faults one to another and be healed. It's a different kind of healing. It's a freeing, a liberating, because the darkness that had a grip on you is, is being broken by truth and light. The power of God is setting you free. There's, there's freedom here. Secrecy is enslaving. So I want to encourage you to find a safe place and trusted people where you can be totally real. I like to say that the church should be safe, but not comfortable. Safe, but not comfortable. Meaning you should be safe, feel safe to be honest. And know that you're going to be pushed by the gospel to walk out of darkness into light. Beautiful picture of repentance here through book burning. They, they pile up all of their um, books of evil. I mean... And they burn them. 
Once you come to Christ, burn the bridges back to evil. Burn the bridges back to evil. This is a radical kind of repentance. I'm just thinking through. It's a condemnation of the content of those books. It's a a declaration of a greater treasure. Like we don't love that anymore. We love him now. It's costly. We talk about it's 50,000 pieces of silver. The, The price of a human slave was 30 pieces of silver. We're talking about a lot of money. Costly, but it's worth it. You give up this, but you get your life. Burning destroys it. You know, why didn't they just sell it? Well, they didn't want someone else to be enslaved by this brokenness. It eliminates the option. If you want freedom from sin, eliminate the option. We we are the kind that like to keep our options open. True repentance closes open doors to sin. So the Holy Spirit power heals the sinner. Amen. I want to ask you this as we finish this morning. Have you been healed, set free from your sin? Sinners are healed when they confess their sin to God. Put their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and surrender their life to him. That's that's the picture we see here. The power of God is all over this. He's doing incredible things to draw people to him. He's doing incredible things to set them free from darkness. And he's doing incredible things to open their hearts to love and follow Christ. If you want to uh, respond to the Lord today, I want to encourage you just to come and pray. If you want to, if you want to talk to somebody, there'll be people here available to talk to you. If you just want to spend time with the Lord, repenting of sin, do that. You don't need to leave your seat to do that, but you absolutely can. You're more than welcome here at the front. Church, let's just uh, let's pray together for the power of the Holy Spirit to move among us and use us to advance the mission of the gospel.